Support for Switched On Pop comes from VibeCheck. If you need more of my friend Sam Sanders in your life, then you'll want to check out his new pod called VibeCheck. Each week, Sam and his two best friends, writer Saeed Jones and journalist and producer Zach Stafford, make sense of what's going on in the news and culture, from foreign policy to how to heal from a breakup. Every Wednesday, they check the vibe of what's going on in the world and how it all feels. It's like your favorite group chat come to life. Listen to and follow Vibe Check wherever you get your podcasts. Welcome to Switched On Pop. I'm musicologist Nate Sloan. And I'm songwriter Charlie Harding. Today, we have a guest that we're really excited to talk to, someone whose music has been in our ears since we started the show many years ago. When we wrote a book about 21st century pop, we devoted a chapter to the song We Are Young by his band Fun, and we've had countless hours of conversation soundtrack to his productions with artists like Taylor Swift, Lord, Lana Del Rey, and many others. So we're excited to sit down with this guest and hear about how he approaches his own work. He has a new album out with his band Bleachers. It's called Take the Sadness Out of Saturday Night, and for our series on summer hits, we wanted to start our conversation with Jack Antonoff about the song Stop Making This Hurt. Jack Antonoff, thanks so much for being here. Thank you guys for having me. I love your show. Thanks, Jack. So let's get right into it. Stop Making This Hurt is a loud, boisterous summer release, but it's also charged. It's a bit of a sad summer song. Stop making this hurt. sounds to me like you're working something out in this song working out some kind of hurt what is it that you're working out the idea of working something out is, is kind of a hallmark for me mm-hmm. I, I feel like um in my work if, if i know something it's pretty hard to write about it without not wanting to write about it you know if, if i know something well it, you know like hence why there's so few songs about the way certain current events have turned out it's like okay we, we got all the facts and it, it becomes sort of <laughs> clinical And same thing about yourself. You know, I know certain things about myself and they're deep and important, but I don't feel the need to explore them. The things that pull me to write songs is when I feel something and it scares me Hmm. or fills me with joy or mystery or anything. And I don't know it. Hmm. Like I imagine like sandpaper inside of you, these weird feelings. And you know, there's a whole world there. Those are the things you write about because you, you want to figure it out. Uh, my work can come off like a, a diary entry. Um, it's still all about me, but I use that as a device this time. And I started looking around and just seeing so many people in my life on this struggle to to sort of hold joy, you know, to, to and, mm. and this terror to to want a better life. And so stopping this hurt, I, I had that idea of stopping this hurt, say goodbye, like you mean it in my head forever. And I didn't know where it was going to go. But then I just started to carve it up. And there's Daniel's my best friend. There's Jimmy, who's Lana. My father. Second verse is my mother and my sister and sort of the political climate. And and just did like a quick overview of of how everyone is is just kind of in their own little mess. 
and then I get to be the narrator who says, "Stop making this hurt, say goodbye, like you mean it." So like, like fuck it, like we have to hmm. exist and find joy. It's not till the bridge that it wraps back around, and you know, if we take the Saturdays out of Saturday night, I wonder what we'll be left with. Anything worth a fight. sort of brings it back to this place of well you know maybe this is this is as good as it gets is to exist in it but but yeah there's a lot being worked out and um sometimes the the more i'm working out the more i want to not trick but confuse the song into being something that isn't telling you exactly what it is that method you're describing of like pursuing the discomfort the mystery i don't know if this is a good analogy but it reminds me of something i read phoebe waller bridge saying the the creator of, of fleabag yeah when she's writing a scene and she writes something that scares her she knows that she's onto something and she has to pursue that if it's the kind of thing you'd be afraid embarrassed or just if your body's telling you to, to run from it it might be a really good place to write from i like thinking about this framework of not knowing in the verse here we go through this barrage of characters your friends your family we have people confronting the issues of the gods must be crazy right at the very beginning of the song. People not recognizing their country. Really heavy stuff and that all feels like people in that that place of not knowing. The chorus feels to provide us some catharsis. Do you learn something in the process of writing the song about yourself? Oh, yeah, but it's later. Hmm. I kind of, I, th- I think writing is sort of this like chucking of the goalpost pretty far. It's a little bit like I've never, anytime I've ever made a record, I finish it. And then a little while later, you go back and you're like, you, you're, you're sort of mind and body have caught up to that goalpost or whatever. It's remarkable. You're like, oh, yeah, like we, we were going to break up or <laughs> I was about to, you know, freak out about this or you just you know it takes so long to to know something it doesn't take very long to feel something and you want to write from that place of feeling not not from necessarily knowing is it right to say that the song doesn't mean the same thing every time you play it i well yeah i mean you you start with an intention right but look even as i'm about to release this album it's like it, it does change and and that's something you know i think there's different kinds of artists i've always been one who's really in it with my audience so there's a lot of room for them to change the feeling of it it's also sometimes why i do different versions and i've always done like reinterpreted versions Mm. and released live versions because you know i'll never forget like there's a fleetwood max song called bleed to lover which i heard on the dance the the live album One of the best things I've ever heard, right? Mm. Years later, I go back to the recorded version. Does nothing for me, <laughs> literally nothing. It's it's remarkable. And that's a really extreme example of something, in my opinion, working and not working, which is obviously not what I'm trying to do here. But it does show <laughs> you how wildly different emotionally. 
not just like, oh man, they played the shit out of that, but just like the way the lyrics hit. It could be down to the way the vocals recorded. There, there is a lot of space for things to shift. One thing I recognize in your productions is that you know, a lot of pop songs have are, are just so temporal. They're like of a particular moment, they last a minute, and then they fade and we go into another world. But even in the process of listening to your work, there's sort of a multi-temporality to it. People are very quick to jump onto genre references or artist references, but oftentimes those things aren't singular. It's like, I'm hearing this, this, and this, but it's also Jack, and it's also all these things. I feel like your music puts me into a specific place and time each time I listen to it. And I guess I'm, I'm curious for you in thinking about the production of Stop Making This Hurt. Is there a particular place that it's placing you? You know, sometimes you start with 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 ideas of, of, of things like that. But but at the end, you kind of just end up trying to blur it all until you just like hear yourself the most. References are good because they can sort of like give you almost like some armor, you know, to get off the ground. So you're not just like, this is going to be fucking great. You're more just like, OK, it's like there's this and there's this. So, you know, I, I could I remember moments of thinking of like Dexie's Midnight Runner. Talking heads phrasing. Tom Tom Club. Or like the way television will record the drums. You start in these places because it can be too terrifying to just say like, uh, this is going to be amazing, so I'm going to do it. You know, you have to have some <laughs> language. But then you shed it pretty quickly. For me, when I when I feel like something is ready or done is when I just kind of hear myself in it. Hmm. And so I, I got this song and it's and it's kind of like quickly litigating all the figures of my life <laughs> with this like gospel chorus casting this like judgment and hope. And then wraps all the way around the bridge where I kind of just realized, well, this is the journey. I want the horns to be going sort of like back and forth on the bar to feel like they're just like some drunk guys who could play better than anyone, you know? <laughs> but I want to hear the, the band. I want it to sound like the, the drummer is about to fly off the cliff. But they never do. <laughs> so you have all these things and then you're just waiting till you hear yourself in it. And kind of like that fear we were talking about in writing, you're waiting till you hear that thing that's like, uh, scares you a little bit. Mm, yeah. Because it's very easy, and this is a bit of a, a bigger thought about just like the industry and whatnot, but it's pretty easy to know what gives you a leg up. And mm. I think it's almost never, if not rare, that that sound or quality that gives you a leg up out there culturally is the thing that actually is the sound of your soul in that moment. Mm. So there is, you know, there's really no other choice or direction to go in if, if you want to exist as an artist, but you're still human. And there is this feeling of sort of like, oh, this isn't necessarily the sound of what's going on. <laughs> that, that's scary in a way. Hmm. And then there's a pride. And then the fear turns into armor.
One of the things I I love about this song is is also the music video, which is set in a diner. Growing up in New York City myself, like that that image just at the very beginning of the music video, I was like, oh, this is this is about Jersey. Jersey, like Jersey is the diner, has more diners per capita than any other state in <laughs> in the US. I I learned researching this conversation. <laughs> and you 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 actually like sing about breaking free of New Jersey. So can you tell us a little about this relationship? Like there's like love for Jersey, but a need to break free. Where is your home in this song? It's a complicated place. Well, I just, I mean, the root of all this is I've just been drifting more and more towards where I'm from for a long time. You know, you go all the way back to like growing up there and you're like, fuck this place. Like, yeah, you know, we're a New York band. We're a New York band. Like, you know, like you drive home to New Jersey and. There's obviously tons of Springsteen mythology baked into this. It's dawned on me recently, and it seems so obvious now, but I didn't really get it for a long time. You're, you're from a place. Mm. And when you're from a place, even if the place you're from is we moved around a ton as a kid, that's a place in, in, in theory. The place you're from is so deeply baked into how you write and how you see the world. Um, and it's not about nostalgia. And it's not about going back. It's just about recognizing where, I like to say it, like where you're reporting from. And... Mm. A perfect example of that is like if you think about New York City music, like if you think about the way the strokes sound, like they're reporting from the center of the world. Yeah. If you think about New Jersey music, they're reporting from an inch outside the center of the world. <laughs> so it's not always to me. It's 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 a specific state and, and place, mm. but but it's about where you're reporting from it. And for a long time, you know, I just started to realize these parallels of how I feel about where I'm from, how I grew up, and how I feel emotionally, right outside, hmm. there but not there. That's a the, one of the opening lines of the album is I'm here but I'm not. I'm here but I'm not just like her. I'm not home. I'm here but I'm not. New Jersey is a special place because it's not small town mentality. It's an inch from the biggest best city in the world mentality. You know, most people who grew up in New Jersey can see New York City. They know the Smashing Pumpkins are playing there and they're not coming to Jersey. They know <laughs> everything's happening there. And then even on a literal scientific level, how much energy is flying off the city and then dying as it hits New Jersey. And how does that feel as a kid? You're so there and you're so not. And like I said, there's a lot of Springsteen in this, in the sense that when I was young, I remember loving music. I, Beatles was the first thing I fell in love with. But when I, when I heard Bruce's music, that was the first time I said, oh, I, I not only know the, the literal landmarks he's talking about, but I know this feeling. The Rangers out of homecoming And a magic rat drove his slick machine over the Jersey State Line. And it gave me this sense of like, oh, there's like a pride to this place. There's like, you know, this get me out of here, uh, I won't die here, <laughs> melancholy mixed with huge hope. That is a culture. And so I've just wanted to incorporate that as, as much as possible because it's been a huge factor in me further recognizing myself in my work. And that's, that's what I am. You know, I'm, I'm, I'm from there. I've lived my entire life pretty much there. And I, and it's my, it's my lens in which I see the world. Mm. And I think there's a torch to carry. And I think it's a really important sound that, that is 
unlike Chicago or LA or San Francisco, sort of a little bit less spoken about. But it's this blend, like I said, of like deep melancholy because you're not invited because you're out of the vibe and then deep hope because you want to get there. Opposite to New York City music, which is way less hopeful, but sort of just like two fingers up, (laughs) welcome to the center of the world. But that specific question about break free in New Jersey, New Jersey also services as this thing you want to get away from emotionally. Yeah. And and also the album literally is designed to go from New York and my apartment across the George Washington Bridge into New Jersey, sonically and emotionally going home to find one's future. So it's, it's a lot wrapped up in this concept. Mm. Let's have that uh, Springsteen conversation. You so frequently cite his songwriting advice of blues in the verse, gospel in the chorus. You even talked about it here, about this having a very gospel-oriented chorus. And of course, you got to collaborate with Bruce. He lends his voice to Chinatown. Could you tell us a story of how this came together and how it was to get to put that track together? It was very organic. Him and his wife, Patty, are very important people in my life. I was over there one day and just, you know, playing each other music, different things. And I had kind of had like the demo of Chinatown and they got a studio right there. So then it was sort of, we were all in the studio. Everyone was messing around on it. It was just kind of cool. I think a ton of it until I, a few days later, I was listening back and he had sung on the chorus and I, and I was like, Jesus, this really works. His influence on my writing, the way the song is sort of like quintessentially bleachers, but also stamped in this place I'm from, uh, the full circleness of you know, me sort of in this big yearning and then him taking over the second chorus and everything he's kind of taught me from before I knew him to knowing him. It was just one of these incredibly sincere moments. And I just was extremely taken aback at, at how uh, I just loved it. And I, and, and, um, and the only reason why I even say it like this is because it's such a delicate thing uh, to work with anyone, but especially people who have, influenced you and who have a a very specific stamp on the world. This is exciting. Support for Switched on Pop comes from Vibe Check. If you were an Intuit fan and you are missing Sam Sanders, then have no fear. He's back with another great pod called Vibe Check. Each week, Sam and his two best friends, writer Saeed Jones and journalist and producer Zach Stafford, make sense of what's going on in the news and culture. From Elon Musk and foreign policy to how to heal from a breakup to Usher's Super Bowl halftime show, they check the vibe of what's going on in the world and how it all feels. They're currently doing a series called Hey Sis, where they're highlighting the compelling stories of black women and their achievements. They're being joined by special guests Regina King, Audie Cornish, Raquel Willis, and more. Vibe Check is your favorite group chat come to life. You can join the Weekly Kiki every Wednesday. Listen to and follow Vibe Check wherever you get your podcasts. Can't believe Sam made me say Kiki.
to dig a little bit deeper into the album, maybe we could talk about a song you mentioned earlier. I think you described it as the sister track to Stop Making This Hurt. It's How Dare You Want More. We've just been loving the production on this song. It's like big, heartfelt, kind of boisterous. But there's also something like sorrow, sorrow. Oh, my God. (laughs) But there's also something like sorrowful, something melancholic in it, too. I feel like these tensions are an important part of like the listening to this album. Is, Is it something that you're maybe intentionally putting in the production the the composition or does that just kind of evolve organically are you like really trying to squeeze your your listener between like the big and the (laughs) and the and the i don't know the the hope and the pain or something not 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 a ton to be honest i because and sometimes people will tell me like you know sometimes i'll have songs like that one that i see is like really joyous and like Mm. super pop and you know people be like oh like 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 uh it's so great and there's there's just such a sadness to it i'm like really <laughs> <laughs> but i think that's these themes we've been talking about growing up sort of carrying loss and grief as a lens carrying this place you're from that feels like it's in some way married to some loss of a thing you didn't have as a lens it's just how i, I hear myself in music everyone just has this dna so when you're writing you know like you could intellectualize it to death of what you're doing, but at the end of the day, you just, you hear things and you just, they sound like you or not. But, but uh, yeah, when I wrote, how do you want more? And then got the band in and sort of produced it. I was like, Oh, this is just like a train on fire. And then, yeah, since like, you know, people like have told me like, Oh, there's like a darkness to this. I'm like, all right. even has that wonderful live sort of quality though you know you're someone who so seamlessly blends between writing in a electronic kind of realm but also a purely acoustic realm and this feels like bucking trends of how people are producing at this moment like it really feels like i'm almost catching a live show of bleachers you've got the sax going entering playing with the guitar in a way that feels entirely spontaneous was there something that you were trying to reach for in that sound for this album? Yeah, and and this is sort of the big pandemic story for me, which is I've always been in this interplay of like I'm playing live and making records, and I've always liked bringing in live stuff, but but I've never felt like oh the record needs to sound like the show. Like I think they're very different expressions, and they should be. Hmm. Right. You know, playing live, you know, radio, press, TV, all these things that that can make a an artist bigger they're just such pies in the sky and i grew up and every artist did saying all that you can have your hands on in a real way is you can go out and you can play your ass off and you can find your audience and if you find your audience you can be with them and you can grow and you can grow and the audience can grow but if you're focused on that that's like the deepest version of this work Mm -hmm. so there was never a sense that that could go away ever Mm -hmm. and so obviously the pandemic was incredibly emotional and tough on everyone for a lot of reasons but in my corner of the world, one thing that was wild was, oh, that that can be taken off the table. Hmm. 
I never thought that could be taken mm. off the table. It never occurred to me. So it created this sense of, it was involuntary. I wanted the band in the room and you can, I've done it before. I said to my band, hey, play like your head's on fire. Play like it's your last <laughs> day on earth. <laughs> Those words hit very different when we actually didn't know when or if we were going to get to play again. <laughs> so a lot of the sound of this album, specifically How Day You Want More, is the guys in the room playing with with the knowledge that we don't know when, if, or how it will ever be the same. And now you're performing again, bringing these songs to audiences. Soon. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> we got a tour coming up and it's, it's, it's fucked up. It's, it's really intense. Like you got to start from the understanding that live music is the least cynical place in the world, right? Mm-hmm. As soon as you go play live, you have just like strained away anyone casual. No one goes to a show cynically. I've said this so many times. It does not happen. <laughs> you know, people stream songs cynically. People listen to things cynically or watch things, but mm. nobody goes to a show cynically. So you have taken out its church. You know, you have you put a bunch of people in a room. This work means a lot to you. It means a lot to them. You've come together to celebrate it and keep growing it. So that's already a place that like I could cry talking about. I honestly don't know what's going to happen when tour starts again, I don't know what that looks like. I mean, I don't know how it could get bigger or less cynical than it, than it is. And I think it, and I think it will somehow. <laughs> and I, and I love that about live music. If you like dislike something and go to a show cynically and go through all the, buy the ticket, wait on the line, drive there just to be like, fuck this. Then even that's awesome. Like even that <laughs> is sort of like an, an ama- amazing act of faith. Yeah. Slightly sociopathic, but yeah. Yeah. But I'm kind of here for it. And, and, and I just, I look for that because there's just so much, you know, nothing, and this is a bigger concept I think about, but like, you, you don't want to do anything for the world. Like, that's absurd. You know, there's so many people out there, like the, the highest form of this work is to just find your audience and they could be smaller, they could be big, but um, there is this tendency nowadays with how things work to just sort of like appeal to everyone. And yeah. I feel like I'm just on this mission to just sort of like weed away as much as possible and just focus on my actual people. Mm. I think in observing your work, one could say, wow, Jack is a real traditionalist. He records albums, he focuses on projects, he records organic instruments, it makes references that are not necessarily, or like nodding to things that are not necessarily the thing that is happening right now, and you're interested in serving that 10% of people who care just so deeply about the music, who are not cynical, who are going to the show. And yet I actually... Mm. I get the sense though, like it's actually not a traditionalist perspective, but rather you have a perspective that this is clearly the best way to do this thing, both for the art and for its own commercial nature. And I'm curious how that developed for you. Where did you get that perspective? I think you're I think you're right. That that speaks to me. Like I'm not I'm not shut off sort of, you know, in, in some like crazy traditional place. I'm pretty like aware of everything that's going on because I think it's important to be, you know, like you can resent the internet and you can resent how information spreads, but it's still what's happening. So like, I think it's weird to be an artist and not be aware of what's happening in your, in the world, or at least the kind of artist that I am, you know, I do think social media is a net negative, but the point is this, that's, that's where a lot of conversations are happening. And that's the world we're living in. Hmm. I stay very connected to what's happening. And then I, then I make my choice after you know, this is this is how people are communicating. This is our world. Cool. Well, then I like to sort of get traditional on top of that. I think I evoke that idea of traditionalism within music because I feel like I can identify when you are producing a song, not necessarily because of the sonics or the chord progression or the melody, but rather because 
it's the song on the album or it's the album, which is kind of somehow nodding to what's going on, but then just saying, no, 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 we're going in this other direction. And like, let me open this other door. It's exciting that we maybe have been ignoring for Mm. a while. And I think that can read as traditionalist, whether that's, you know, just like taking out an acoustic guitar and a piano and writing a song when all we've heard is 808s for a few, few years. There's a way in which it maybe opens up that idea of like, okay, this, this feels old, but in fact, it feels like it's very much in conversation with where we are at this moment. And it might just be sort of the opposite of what you might be hearing. There's a difference between reactionary and conversation mm-hmm. or reaction and conversation. Like a few years ago, I started just hearing all these electronic things everywhere, which I loved. And I was just like, so cool, you know, like amazing. And and then when I would sit down and make music, and this was sort of the beginning of the real sort of start of that phase was kind of when I was making Norman Rockwell with, with Lana where I was just like, both of us were like, man, like these sort of sloppy live room drums and this 12 string, it just sounds so cool. It wasn't like, fuck everyone, they're doing this, we're doing this. It's just sort of like, it's, it's a natural thing. Like, you hear something over and over again, kind of like the way writing, you don't want to talk at the part of yourself that you know. It's like, well, you get to a point, and, and now I'm kind of reaching that point, or have reached, which everyone will hear in some things coming out soon, where I'm like, cool, like, did that. And, and mm-hmm. it, it, look, production is just, I mean, it's, it's, a, it's, a, it's a whole universe, and it's, fascinating and beautiful but at the end of the day it's inferior to you know this feeling that it's meant to design right so you could Mm. intellectualize and talk about why how what you're using at the end of the day but it just doesn't really matter because it's sort of like the sum of its parts are meant to be so much more than the sum of its parts so whatever gets you there gets you there but but it's pretty natural like you just you hear things around and you just kind of like i said it's not like fuck you i'm in left field it's kind of like great job why would I try that? Yeah. Because you just did a great job. <laughs> <laughs> this makes me want to ask about something you said before about like making your own music feels sometimes like a hobby when you need a break from making music for other people with other people. So I'm curious, like, how is it different making a Bleachers project than collaborating? I take that back. Okay, great. This is yeah, this is a, I, an, a Switched on Pop exclusive, a retraction. Yeah, I, I take that back. I think I said that. Strike it from the record. No, no, no. Or or add this to the record. Great. I think I think there was a period of my life when I felt a need to contextualize things that was probably born out of like you know just just trying to make it easier for people to understand something like yeah you know because because it was always like this question of kind of like well this is this and this is this and what's more important and how do you do both and and the truth is I I really love working on all these things and hmm. they're the same and they're different the, the better way i can put it now is i think in life specifically in in art and work is uh there's this big line things give you life or they take life and it doesn't matter it's not like oh i'm given life by being in the studio or writing songs fuck that i could be in the studio and like fucking walk into traffic i could be working with someone who seems great <laughs> and my heart is dying you know <laughs> if you find things that give you energy and give you life and inspire you mm. then then you fucking go otherwise you're really wasting space on the planet and within my work and with certain people i collaborate with i've 
found those relationships. But yeah, I, I don't find myself working harder than friends or collaborators. I find myself kind of working when I feel it, which is kind of all you have. But no, I have no hobby. My hobby is walking. <laughs> I love that we got the chance to to meditate on that a little bit. What's interesting about the phase I'm in is you're in the studio and you're making records. You're not talking about the records. Right. You're making them. It's it's sort of like, you know, if you're like cooking something, you wouldn't be like, and I choose this. You just be like, oh, just doing it. Yeah. I find like a lot of things start off like you're a busy guy. And I'm kind of like, I don't know, like maybe <laughs> I, I guess at the end of the day, if I go real deep, I could I could. I guess sometimes when that's like starts that way, it feels like a little reductive. It's to me, it's like, is that what's interesting to you? Or is it the, or is it the music? Because I think it's the music. <laughs> <laughs> Definitely the music. You know what I mean? Totally. But to tie it all back around, the hobby comment was me trying to, uh, I don't know, make it more comfortable for people or something. <laughs> yeah. No, it's, it's, it's a fascinating insight into the gap between the process, the creative process, and then the, the sort of the id and the ego, right? Like the creative yeah. process and then like turning it into something that can be analyzed and discussed rather than just having it be, I mean, we're, that's the, that's the line that we're constantly walking on this show where we're like, are we reading too far into this? Like it feels good, but it also may be complete bullshit. <laughs> no, it's, it's designed that way. It, it's all these things are designed to be little worlds in themselves and read into and every Easter egg is probably real. And if it isn't, then it still is. Because like I said, this kind of goes back to the conversational aspect about music. It's almost like, you know, when someone dies and everyone talks about them. And then you're like, whoa, like we never talked about this person. We just sort of, they were just there and they were complicated and great and bizarre and had this effect on me and all, all these things. I, I also feel like there's like this mythology of the studio where it's like these like conversations and it's just this, you know, it, it's so much more... Um, you know, I, I, I see writing and producing as two phases. There's this like trying to find it, just trying shit, almost free association of production and writing where you're literally, mm. and this is when I'm alone, this is if I'm with a collaborator, the same. And then at some point, and I've said this before, you could have a million songs and not have an album. But at some point you see the framework of the album and that's when, that's boom. As soon as you see that, it's phase two mm. and it's immediate and, it's, and it hits you. It's interesting. Usually when I'm working with people, it's, and you're so tapped into each other, it just hits you at the same time. Oh my God, this is it. This sounds, this is how this sound is connected to this emotion, blah, blah, blah. And that's actually the harder phase because then you know what it is and you know what's missing and you know how to finish it. The reason why I bring this up is because both of these process, both of these, these process A and B, they leave very little room of sort of like meditating on what's happening. All of that happens after. Hmm. There's so much lightning in a bottle in process A, when you're just trying to find ideas, there's nothing to even talk about. You're just throwing stuff against the wall and you're like, huh, that's weird. That's interesting. And then one day you sort of wake up and realize you're further along than you are, which is when process B starts. And that's when you're like, oh my God, we're in this. <laughs> we have to get it across the finish line because if we don't, we never will. Yeah. And we could, you know, it's it's not it's not an endless well. It's, it's not something you can put away and, and grab again. You're holding that... Uh, it was that game when we were kids where the ball turns into fire. It's like in a video game and, and the basketball turns into fire and you can't miss. Oh, NBA Jam. It's that feeling. Once you know the context of an album and it doesn't last forever, you're like, okay, got it. Go, go, go. And, and you can't miss it. He's heating up. That's yeah. That's <laughs> There's not a lot of space where you're sitting around contextualizing it because you're just on this crazy marathon. And then all of a sudden one day it's all over and you deliver it. And then you, and then you enter this phase of discussing it. It's not good or bad or anything. It's just real odd. Because you're discovering your own things in the process. 
Was there a moment like that with this record where you had that like kind of light bulb, light switch, it clicked, you're like, this makes sense to me, This I see this album? Totally. Every record I've ever done, there's that moment where you're like, got it, see it, balls on fire, let's throw as many in as we possibly can before we lose that fire. Could you describe that moment in this record where, where you, all of a sudden you're like, oh, now it caught on fire? I had uh, Chinatown 45. Like a song called Secret Life. And then, believe it or not, it was sort of when I started to get this song called What Do I Do With All This Faith? I don't know what to do with this Which is the last song where I was like, fuck, I get it. Like, I see it. <laughs> yeah, what do I do with all this faith? It was also kind of this idea of leaving New York, going into New Jersey, going home, taking someone you love home, going home to find the future. I saw it as sometimes visual. I saw this doorway. Is a little literal, but you know, me with all this baggage, and I got obsessed with this idea of like, you can't take it all, you can't leave it all. That the pieces you choose to take are going to define your future. I'm so easy for me to gravitate towards darkness and sadness, but I loved this doorway kind of knocking at the door of the next phase of your life because I was like, there's so much joy. There's so much joy in that concept, but there's also so much anxiety. And this is right where I, where I not was, but wanted to be. You talked earlier about the exhilaration of of making something and finding something. And also maybe I, I detected like a little bit of fear of the idea of like not having that need to write, that need to create, losing that. Maybe we could talk a little bit more about that before we go. Is there ever going to be a point you think when you won't feel compelled to write music and if so do you see that as like like oh man i'm i've i've lost something or like oh i've you know worked out the, the things i need to work out and i don't and i don't need to to put them into song anymore like do, i'm curious what you what you think about that it's it's a huge mystery to me it's a huge huge mystery and it feels like an abyss mm. um I don't know if when you get there you are left empty and broken or if you've ascended to something else. I think it's probably different for everyone. Yeah. I think writing and making records is it's just a tiny thing that's a part of this much bigger concept of doing things that make you feel alive and valuable and and um I could imagine or I've seen, I guess, other people drift into other things in life that do that for them right but it's really hard to know because uh it's it's, it's not a thing you do it's a real way of life and it and it's constant you know so it's with you I, I i sometimes imagine it a little bit like you know this sort of like here but not feeling where you're clocking everything because you're always writing and you're living because you need to live to write but you're 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 an inch out there's a hazard to that in terms of like whatever kind of work you do there's a hazard i think there's a, the hazard in this work is like you know, becoming complicated and not being able to have good relationships. I don't want that. It's another reason why I love spending time with Bruce and Patty. They, you know, they're so emotionally vibrant and artistically vibrant. There's, there's so few people that have, that can seem to hold both. 
a lot of people in my life and, and my friend group or people that I work with is a lot of people that I see kind of holding both and they give you a lot of hope that you can. But I don't know. I, I, it's like, it's weird. Like I think about it, but then I also sort of just like get back to, to writing or whatever because you're just kind of, you're there and, and, you, and you know it's fleeting in some way. So you just want to grab it. Jack, I want to thank you for being so candid with us and, and sharing about the process of making this album, the music, the bigger stuff, all of life. It's it's really meaningful to have you on the show. <laughs> yeah, I love talking to you guys. Anytime. Okay, great. Well, you sure to hit you up again. Really appreciate it, Jack. It's been really fun. Take care, guys. Switched on Pop is produced by Nate Sloan, Megan Lubin, and me, Charlie Harding. We're edited by Julia Myers, engineered by Brandon McFarlane, social media by Abby Barr, and illustrations by Iris Gottlieb. Our executive producers are Nashat Karwa and Hannah Rosen. We're a member of the Vox Media Podcast Network and a production of Vulture. And thanks to JBL for hooking us up with the gear that we need to make the show on the road this summer. We'll link in our show notes to some of our favorite episodes featuring music that Jack Antonoff produced or co-wrote. And you can find that also on our website, switchedonpop.com. And we're at switchedonpop on social media. Tune in next Tuesday for a really fun conversation with the producer, Mark Ronson. We'll be talking about a modern classic that he has picked for us. We'll be discussing some of his new projects. We'll see you on Tuesday. And until then, thanks for listening. Support for Switched On Pop comes from VibeCheck. If you need more of my friend Sam Sanders in your life, then you'll want to check out his new pod called VibeCheck. Each week, Sam and his two best friends, writer Saeed Jones and journalist and producer Zach Stafford, make sense of what's going on in the news and culture, from foreign policy to how to heal from a breakup. Every Wednesday, they check the vibe of what's going on in the world and how it all feels. It's like your favorite group chat come to life. Listen to and follow Vibe Check wherever you get your podcasts.